Welcome to the Triple F Podcast, where we're focused on fashion, fitness, and of course food. This podcast is all about bringing these three parts of your life together to help you get the most out of your passions. We're here to help you look your best, feel great, and also indulge in some maybe not-so-hidden temptations. We are by no means experts in any of these fields, but we do hope to bring to the show people who know what they're talking about and help you with some of these aspects of your life. You live life only once, so why not live a life worth living? On the show today, we have Troy Vossler, founder of Scotty Nation. What is Scotty Nation? It is a dedicated apparel company to people of Wisconsin. Definition of a Scotty. Anyone from Wisconsin who attends school in Wisconsin or just loves the dairy state in general can identify with Scotty. Scotty is anything of or relating to Wisconsin. Scotty is an identity. It can be used as a noun, aka I'm a Scotty, or an adjective. Look at your Scotty truck. You don't have to be from Wisconsin to appreciate the Scotty movement. It's all about embracing and celebrating this genuinely Wisconsin-esque environment we call home. Scotty is tailgating, bowling, bubblers, washing cheeseburgers down with the beer, having a tractor-shaped mailbox, or eating a cream puff. If you like eating a brat and cheering for the pack, you know what we're talking about. Go Badgers! This episode is so exciting. I'm really glad I got a chance to get Troy on this. You guys will definitely enjoy this with Scotty Nation with Troy Vossler. So Troy, tell us what you do in one or two sentences. So I'm the co-founder and owner of Scotty Nation. Scotty Nation is an apparel lifestyle brand all about celebrating the Wisconsin lifestyle. Fantastic. We actually had a chance to uh, wear quite a bit of your clothes since we actually went to school around the same time you have actually launched in, in, in Madison. So uh, give us a little bit more rundown of uh, the Scotty Nation uh, kind of backstory and how that all sure. kind of came to be. Yeah, so myself and my partner Ben started the company freshman year in our dorm room. So we both, uh, by happenstance, lived on the same dorm floor in Crontage Hall at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And we instantly became friends. We had no prior connection, no prior relationship. And both really had this entrepreneurial bug and wanted to start a company together. But we didn't know what that was going to be. So we would just constantly brainstorm different business ideas, um, whether that's walking to class together or eating at the, the dorm cafeteria. Until finally one night, it was the spring semester of our freshman year, so this is the spring of 2004, we both had heard the word Scani used around campus, used around town, and so we saw an opportunity to create a brand around that. So we didn't invent the word, we didn't coin the word Scani, uh, but we did see an opportunity really to create a brand. And so Ben and I each put in $300 of our own money, so we started with 600 bucks, and we printed 100 t-shirts with Scani across the chest and ended up start selling them out of our dorm room. We ended up selling out in about a week. And from that point for going forward, you know, we realized we were onto something, and so we just constantly reinvested the profits back into future runs, future batches, and just kept growing very much organically in that, in that way. So a lot of people think that investing in companies is like tens, even hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like starting at McDonald's, you need 1.8 million, and then go to Hamburg University. You guys started this company that's kind of booming right now in the apparel industry with $300 of both your money. Like, how did that kind of play out? How do you guys say $300, just make like 50 shirts and just sell them? Sure. Is that kind of the process? Or what kind of went into prepping to actually do this? Yeah, I'd say 
from our perspective, it was uh, a rather minimal investment. I mean, granted, we were freshmen in college, so three hundred dollars each seemed like more than it certainly does today. Um, but our perspective was, hey, worst case, we end up with having a lot of T-shirts, uh, and uh, we'll only sell a few of them. But then at least we'll have tried it and realized that there was nothing there. Best case is, you know, we build a really great company that can be profitable and continue to grow, and we have really happy customers that resonate with our brand and, and want to give us money for our T-shirts. Um, so it was a gamble or a risk, a calculated risk that we were willing to make. Uh, we we were also fortunate because since we were college students, even if we completely failed, we knew that we still were going to be graduating alongside our classmates, alongside our peers, entering into the same job market with the same degree. Um, but if anything, we would at least have this experience to speak about on our resume of having started our own business. And so we thought even in a worst case scenario, we still would be benefiting. And in a best case scenario, we will have built a company that, again, is profitable and growing. So it was a, it was a calculated risk, but one that we were comfortable with any downside. How did you guys kind of balance school, friends, you know, social networking on the weekends with like running a business? Uh, I feel like a lot of people are yeah. pretty busy with like all those things in the first place. How did you guys have time to add in sure. the business on the side? So it's definitely a trade-off. I mean, we needed a, a way to figure out how to make it happen, how to how to get it done. Um, and so oftentimes that did mean, you know, we couldn't go out partying on Friday nights when there was a football game the next Saturday morning because we were street vending and we, by the city regulations, had to be out at a certain time, bright and early in the morning, and we had to rent a U-Haul truck and do all these sorts of things that you know our peers weren't doing they were going out having fun tailgating going out the night before things like that so it sounds silly it sounds like a little bit of a trade-off but again for a college student those are those are the trade-offs we were making same with academics you know i go back to that that calculus or that that weighing analysis that we, we did when we started the company it applies to academics as well i, I mean we went in eyes wide open knowing that we were going to have to we would have less time devoted to studying, to taking exams, to writing papers, things of that nature. And as a result, you know, probably our GPs would suffer. And, and I'd say anecdotally, I, I think they did a little bit. Um, but we knew that the experience of having started our business, even if we completely failed, would outweigh any dip in academic performance. And again, if we were successful, then, you know, frankly, grades don't matter a whole lot anyway. Um, so again, it was a trade-off that we were willing to make, but we were aware of that trade-off. And so I think that's really the most important part to entrepreneurs, especially college entrepreneurs, is being aware of the trade-off that you're making uh, and the sacrifices that you're making. And if you're comfortable with that trade-off, then by all means, you should continue to pursue it. Where it gets a little dangerous is when people don't realize how much time or effort something's going to take, or they're not comfortable with the trade-off or the, the negative result of that trade-off. Uh, and all of a sudden they're, you know, halfway across the stream and realizing like, oh crap, I can't be spending so much time on this or this is uh, negatively impacting my academics or my social life, my personal life, what have you. But as long as you're aware of that trade-off um, and comfortable with it, then I think you're in a good position as an entrepreneur. It makes sense. Like I, I talked about this all the time. I was actually invited back to Madison uh, last February to talk about the transition from like college to like the working world. And I like told the crowd, I was like, Yes, grades are great. It's good to study, things of that nature. But what's really going to differentiate you from someone who has the same grades as you or even someone who has, like, higher grades than you is, like, communication skills, ability to work in teams, and, like, a leadership mentality, right? So you guys taking yeah. that jump to kind of do all that in one really separates yourself. Like, a lot of resumes look the same. Same bullet points, same cover letter, 
similar GPA, similar school? Like what's separating you from the 30 other people in your class who are playing the same company? I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, that, and it comes down to experience. So the experience of having started your own business, researching how to do that, actually taking the effort of doing it and hopefully being successful at it, you learn so many of those skills that I think are very applicable to, to traditional employers. So like I said, even if we had completely failed, I think the experience of having started our own business and even failing with it would have been a, a, a positive on that resume, something that we could talk about in, in, in an interview, something that would separate us and differentiate us from our peers applying to similar jobs. So I, I absolutely agree with you. How did you guys deal with, uh, quote unquote, the haters? Hey, you shouldn't be starting a business. Hey, you guys are wasting your time. Uh, hey, you only made like five hundred dollars. You can't compete with like all these other sure. brands. I, you know, like, I think if you if you have the personality type that's really bothered by that kind of stuff, you're probably not cut out to be an entrepreneur in the first place. You know, but I'd be lying if I said you know you don't hear those things. You certainly hear those things and you listen to them. And and at certain moments in your business career, your trajectory, they, they get to you in different ways. Um, but overall, you need to be extremely confident in your vision and what you're trying to do and, and proud of it. You want to be passionate and proud and, and love what you're doing. And especially if you're able to make money doing that, you know, there's no better feeling. Uh, so for me, you know, those positives will always outweigh the, the naysayers, the haters. Um, and, and even to this day, there's no better feeling than seeing a complete stranger walking down the street right past you wearing a Scotty shirt. Uh, and I, I, that's true of any entrepreneurs, you know, when you, they see people purchasing or interacting with their product or their service. So walk us through how it went from your dorm room, selling stuff on the street at the football and basketball games to actually opening your store on State Street. Sure. So we had a long time working relationship with our screen printer. So we never actually uh, pressed or screen printed the t-shirts. Rather, we, we contracted that out. Uh, to a company called Underground Printing. And so we had, we've had a really good relationship with them throughout the years. And uh, the timing was fairly serendipitous. So, you know, as much as hard work plays a role in this, there's a fair amount of luck and timing that comes into play with, with all business. And in, the, in our case, uh, Underground Printing was interested in opening up retail storefronts in college towns to cater to student organizations, fraternities, sororities, intramural sports, clubs, nonprofits, etc., who wanted to order custom apparel, custom t-shirts, um, custom uniforms, you name it. And so uh, they wanted to experiment uh, in college town. So they started at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, uh, and it was a big success there, and they expanded to some other campuses. But Madison quickly was on their radar of a location they wanted to grow to. So in Madison, they were already printing our Scani merchandise, so they knew what kind of volume and what kind of following we had in Madison. And so for the Madison store, in addition to being a drop center or a drop-in location for ordering custom screen-printed apparel for organizations and student organizations and the like, they wanted to add a retail component. The logic being that they're already paying a fixed amount of rent for a certain amount of square footage in the store, in the retail store. So why not maximize the revenue per, per square foot and have a brand that they can sell at retail? And so... The Madison store was the first where they experimented with that model. It was a big success, meaning people who wanted to buy Scani shirts would go in and then learn about underground printing and their and their services. Other people were going in to, to take advantage of underground printing services, but then would learn about our Scani brand. So, so it was a very much a win-win situation. So that store opened in the summer of 2007, the storefront we have at 521 State Street in Madison. And then the... the the relationship continued to evolve. So eventually, you know, Ben and I, my partner, 
graduated. So uh, we started this our freshman year. We eventually graduated. The company was continuing to grow very well. It was profitable, but yet not profitable enough to support you know two people full time on the business. And so Ben ended up taking a job working full time out on the West Coast. I was uh, in the process of applying to and eventually going to law school here at uh, the University of Wisconsin. Um, and I still wanted to continue working with the company. And so eventually uh, bought my partner Ben out. So then at that point, I owned 100% of the company and then struck a deal with Underground Printing where we would license the brand to them. So again, they had that core competency around screen printing, working with suppliers of the garments like American Apparel and Gildan and Hanes and Adidas and people like that, uh, as well as order fulfillment. So they were accustomed to working with all the logistics companies like FedEx, UPS, etc. And so my focus was always on coming up with new styles, new designs, new slogans, new marketing promotions, things of that nature. So under this licensing arrangement that we struck, I was able to maintain ownership of the brand. Underground Printing could focus on the things they were good at, which was printing T-shirts and uh, shipping them out. And so we struck a licensing arrangement in exchange for a royalty based on sales. Uh, so that meant that they run, manage all the employees at the store and they handle all the online order fulfillment and customer service. Uh, and I still was free to do as much or frankly, as little as I wanted to do. Uh, so for me, that was focusing on the marketing side, the product development side, um, advertising, things of that nature. So that's really how that relationship evolved. Uh, in between there, there was a lot of word of mouth. So we went from selling T-shirts out of our dorm room to uh, street vending to selling wholesale to third party retailers like UW Bookstore or Name of the Game, Bucky's Locker Room, stores like that started carrying our products. So that really helped legitimize what we were doing. Uh, so instead of just some, you know, two college kids running around in the dorm, uh, this was actually a legitimate operation. You could buy one of our t-shirts at the bookstore uh, and it gave us a lot of credibility. So we very much grew organically like that. We never raised outside money. We never took on outside debt or loans. Um, but we always reinvested the profits back into the company, adding new styles, new, new slogans, things like that. So walk us through those examples. Like, I think it's pretty easy for people to grasp a red or white t-shirt that says like Scandi Nation mm -hmm. or Scandi or something like that on it. So what are some of your like, sure. hot, like uh, different styles you guys have out there now? Yeah, so we really want to play up the state pride aspect of things. So, you know, to give you some examples of that, we have really of the Wisconsin state flag. We have a similar t-shirt that's a print of the city of Madison flag. Um, things that, you know, people had never seen put on a t-shirt before thought were pretty clever and have become some of our best sellers. Um, we would have Dairyland, other cities throughout the state, so Green Bay, Milwaukee. Um, you know, some of our other best sellers are around things like Wisconsin Love, right? So if a, a teacher really marketed that at, at the female demographic uh, with the big shape of the state with the word love printed uh, inside of it. Yes. Um, so things like that. So really anything that celebrates the Wisconsin Love is fair game for us. Cool. And so like, how does someone go from process of you guys come up with some cool design how does that go from that idea all the way to actually me putting it on my body i purchased it at the store what's kind of that process yeah. until this is just so there's kind of a, a group of us that work together on different ideas um myself included and some of the designers at underground printing and, and some of the store employees etc who 
have their, their ear to the ground on, on stuff that could be relevant and timely, right, related to pop culture. And so an idea will bounce it around on email. Um, uh, eventually, it might get to the stage where it's actually mocked up, meaning the designers put put, uh, put the graphics together. And then we'll talk about We'll say, hey, is this something we think would be popular? Or maybe we should change the font or the color scheme or what type of garment, what style garment or shirt we're putting it on. Uh, and then some of those end up, we say, all right, let's print a batch of them and see if they sell. Um, and that's really that's really the process. What's funny is that sometimes shirts that I think are going to be really popular, really funny, uh, just end up totally flopping. And, <laughs> and sometimes shirts that I think are so stupid end up being our best sellers. So, uh, you know, you can never predict what the market wants or you can't outsmart the market. Um, but for us, the key is just trying to have a high volume let's let's experiment a lot let's offer a lot of new styles once we have a, a design that's really popular then we can double down meaning we can do different color combinations we could do a baseball tee and a, a higher end tee we could do uh, a woman's tank top so we could put that same design on multiple different styles to continue to ex extend the, the the value from it it sounds like from our conversation everything was pretty easy going from the start what are some of the challenges you faced along the way yeah, good question. You know, um, a big one is, you know, one we touched on is how do you balance that work-life balance, or in this case, school work-life balance uh, when you're starting a company? You know, so that's definitely significant. The other one is just, you know, any partnership is difficult. Um, and, and, you know, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, as, as do you, JP, and I think balancing that partner relationship uh, can be difficult. And the same was true for, for Ben and myself. You know, we were you know, college friends who literally met in the dorms and started this, this great company together. Um, but, you know, as it got time to, to, for us to graduate, that was difficult to make the decision to buy them out and, and for us to come to an agreement on, on price and all those things. You know, I'm not going to lie that that was a difficult, that put a strain on our personal relationship outside of work. Um, you know, it's something that we've ultimately worked through, but um, uh, I think it's something that a lot of business people run into in partnerships where uh, just things change. Life events happen or circumstances change and uh, the value that people put on different things is different. It diverges. So what I like to say is you never agree more than you do on day one when you're starting a business, <laughs> meaning there's ups and there's downs, but you tend to disagree more over time. And so one way to, to get around that, and this goes, this speaks a little bit to um, – advice I would have is always have an agreement. So in our case, we are an LLC, a limited liability company. And despite people in our family, our advisors, our professors, et cetera, telling us, hey, you guys need to have an operating agreement. You need to have a partnership agreement that really stipulates and has a formula for what happens if one partner wants to leave or what happens if one partner wants to buy the other partner out? How do you value the business? What's the procedure you need to go through? Uh, and that was something that we just unfortunately never got around to because in our heads, you know, we were 19 when we started the company and, you know, we'll deal with that later, you know, and furthermore, we weren't even really profitable. So we'll deal with that later. Right. Um, but in fact, I wish I would have heeded that advice. I wish we would have entered into that operating agreement or that partnership agreement that really laid out how the relationship would work both in good times and in bad times, both when we're continue wanting to continue to be partners and when we wanted to, you know, part ways. Uh, since we didn't have that, it just took a lot longer. And like I said, it, it put more of a strain on our relationship than had we had that in place. It's like so ridiculous to me. You think, oh, we're friends, whatever. But I think there's a couple aspects of that is people take advantage of the fact that you're friends and will do or say things because like they'll know they'll get their way because you don't want to strain the relationship. And I've also been in scenarios where like 
people's lives were at stake. I had to like close like a company I was working for because the two founders couldn't agree upon injecting more money into the bank account to pay people. They're like, yeah. oh, I want to inject like another fifty grand, but I need ten percent equity. And the other person wouldn't do it. I'm like, yeah. No, we just at a standstill, and now these people that work for me like don't have jobs anymore, or they do, but we're not going to pay them, so it's like not really a job. So like, yeah, it's really difficult, huh? I mean, at the end of the day, like it's you know, I I th- I'm confused sometimes that people take business like so personally. But I try my best, you know, to like, be cordial and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, you have to make the right decision for like the business, not for what someone thinks is like a fun idea or like fun exactly. thing to do because it, it can exactly. have a huge ripple effect that is going to be negative. So I think finding the right partner is huge. Um, if you ever were going to take on another partner, what kind of person would you be looking to partner up with? Like what have you learned from that for someone to look for when partnering up yeah, with someone who wasn't your best friend? I think you want someone that actually is similar in personality to you, but at the same time complimentary. And I know that sounds like a little bit of double talk or I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but, um, but I really think that's true. Meaning you don't want someone that just has an entirely different vision and a totally different personality. I, I do think you want someone that's somewhat similar to you in that regard, but you do want to be complimentary. Meaning if, if one person's much more subjective and visionary uh, in nature, you want a partner to counterbalance that that's a little bit more ob- objective and, and more grounded in terms of the reality on the ground. Um, so I, I, do, I think you want to be complimentary in that regard. And then the next thing is, I think you just want to create a partnership structure where if there ever is a falling out, that there's a mechanism and that you've agreed upon upfront how you're going to unwind that relationship in a way that uh, both sides agree on going into it, into the process. That makes a ton of sense. I think a lot of people are like just sitting around Friday night having a beer. Do we should like start a company together? And then it's like, yeah, we have this like great app idea. It's gonna be like you know the next Uber. <laughs> yeah. And then like a week later, like oh, we actually have to like do work. Like we just don't like pay someone like ten bucks to like make this app for me, and I'm a millionaire next week. I don't understand this. I wish. <laughs> so things seem to be going really well. Wisconsin Nation, obviously. Where do you kind of see the company here in the next like uh, two, three, maybe even five years down the road? Where, yeah, what good can we question. So, we, so, so, you know, I consider Sky Nation a, a lifestyle business. You know, it's something that continues to be profitable. We keep growing the company um, and we have a, I have a lot of fun, you know, doing it, owning it and coming up with new marketing ideas and new T-shirts and things like that. Uh, and like I said, there's no better feeling than seeing someone wearing your T-shirt, wearing your product. Um, that being said, we'd love to continue to grow our presence, grow, grow our brand awareness, um, expand, you know, into new markets. And by that, I mean, you know, other geographies within the state of Wisconsin, we think we have more room to grow in those markets as well. Um, and and again, having fun doing it. Do I ever think this is going to be a billion dollar company? No, no way. Absolutely not. Um, but is it something that will continue to be profitable and, and, and provide for, for myself? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really where I see it going. Um, we do also want to expand or have expanded in, into some other lines. So uh, we currently license the brand, license the trademark to a bar in Madison. So we have a Scani bar that opened up this fall near Camp Randall Stadium, uh, which has a great beer garden on game days. Uh, during the week, it has a great menu. So it has food in, in addition to a full bar and a ha- pretty happening uh, nightlife scene. Which bar um, so is that? I haven't been on campus in a while. Yeah, so it took over the where Lucky's used to be on Regent Street. Lucky's has since moved down the block. Wow. And so now Scotty Bar is where, where Lucky's is, if you can picture that, on Regent Street in Madison. Yeah, it was like my go-to spot. My, my friends live like across the street from there for three <laughs> there years. There you go. So it was, it was a nice place to walk over to, for sure. Especially yeah, game yeah, so we, we love these kind of co-branded or, or these collaborative, these licensing opportunities, things like that. Um, 
we've been really fortunate to work with the Milwaukee Bucks for the last three seasons. They do a, an initiative called Milwaukee Originals, where they work with local T-shirt companies, T-shirt designers to come up with a creative take on the Bucks logo and insignia. Um, so we do a Scotty Nation version of that T-shirt every year that we can then sell at the Bradley Center during games and whatnot. Um, so we'd love to do more of that stuff. So around the licensing, around the co-branding, uh, and really trying to grow out the lifestyle aspect of the brand. Awesome. I think it's really exciting for you guys. I'm glad. Where can people get some their hands on some of your apparel? What's like the you best You got it. Really so visit us, visit us online at scani.com. That's S-C-O-N-N-I-E.com. Uh, or come see us in person. If you're ever in Madison, we're at 521 State Street, uh, right in the right in the heart of State Street. So you can come visit our retail store. Awesome. I actually have some of your, your apparel. Um, I remember the, the first uh, piece of apparel I bought wasn't really uh, appropriate to, to wear in public, but <laughs> it, was, it was absolutely phenomenal. I've had it, I got a lot of good use out of it, like uh, with jokes with like friends and things of that nature. Just nice the, 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 the Scotty undies, but I was like Scotty egg on your butt. Obviously, it's for like women, but I, you know, just a war for as the guy because I didn't care. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but well, yeah. thanks for being a customer. Yeah, I'm really excited. I love wearing Scott's stuff. Like, I, my parents have uh, season tickets to all the Badger games for football. So I go up there, I shoot up there more than I do, but like I just wear my stuff all around. I'm wearing it this weekend. My mom's coming down for her birthday, so we're watching the Michigan, Michigan game at uh, nice. Wisconsin Bar down the street from me down in Chicago. I'm so pumped. But Nice. Anything else you want to leave listeners with before we kind of sign off? No, other than, you know, if you, for all the entrepreneurs out there, just really focusing on on what you're passionate about. And if you have an idea for a business, you know, there's no better way than through. So uh, just get up, get started, and and see if the dog will eat the dog food is the line I, I like to use. Meaning no amount of planning or thinking about or researching or focus groups can determine whether or not you have a, a quality product or service that people actually want to pay money for. So the sooner you can get out there with the actual product or a proxy to the product, get those paying customers, you know, the sooner you'll get validation around what you're doing. Awesome. Well, we appreciate everything. And have a great rest of your day. All right. Thanks, JP. Just another phenomenal show, if I do say so myself. It was definitely a long time coming for Troy and I. He and I have been trying to put together this interview for quite a few weeks. I actually had him on as like one of the first couple of people I wanted to reach out to when I was putting the show together. But just due to our busy schedules, things just kind of didn't click until just recently. I still remember when I had the store first opened in State Street in Madison, Wisconsin. It was absolutely phenomenal. I was so excited. We went to school around the same time, rushed in there, got some great stuff. Just a huge Badger fan. It's so exciting to see how his line has expanded to other Wisconsin sports and other just Wisconsin humor. It's just so fun and so exciting. Even people I see down here in Chicago wearing Scotty stuff, I go, yeah, go, go Badgers, yeah, woo! That's awesome. It's great to connect on something so close to home and representative of our alma mater. Hope you guys enjoy the show. We'd just like to give a quick shout out to our sponsors for the show. We are Polygon. We are Polygon is a development and digital agency consultancy. With an average of 10 years experience in digital marketing, design, and development under their belts, they aim to combine these disciplines in new ways to help businesses build and expand their reach and engage their audiences in measurable, effective ways. This includes fully customizable websites, manageable with WordPress, PPC, SEM campaigns, marketing and development consultations, personal and enterprise branding, and web apps that are usable on Android, iOS, BlackBerry, and Windows devices. Check them out at wearepolygon.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-P-O-L-Y-G-O-N.com. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Pod Directory, or SoundCloud. That way, you'll get our latest episodes sent right to your device when they come out every week. For reference, those are all linked up right in the show notes. While you're in there, feel free to leave us a review. If you do, all I can say is two words. Endless gratitude. Writing reviews helps us understand how we can improve the podcast as we all continue along this fun adventure in fashion, fitness, and food.